Hey everybody, Chase Nobles here, founder of Kush.com. I've got Dylan Steves from RDSP Farms here today out of Oregon. How are you, Dylan? Doing great, man. Thank you for asking. Another be- yeah. beautiful day in Southern Oregon. Looks like you're in your truck. Uh, before the show, you were telling yeah. me you are at the Home Depot parking lot. What do you guys got going on on the farm today? Oh, a lot. Uh, yeah, we're actually um, we're about to launch some um, some uh, uh, beneficial insects. So we have uh, some lace wings and predatory nematodes. Uh, we try to do everything. Uh, well, we do do everything um, as biodynamic as possible. Uh, we're a USDA certified organic farm. Uh, so why use pesticides when nature provides a lot of beneficial bugs that you can use? Hey, today? right on. So now by launch. Yeah beneficial insects are you releasing like hundreds of thousands of insects into a field what does this actually entail because i've i haven't been a part of that process before <laughs> yeah yeah uh, exactly yeah to to my right my immediate right here i have a, a ice chest um and it's uh yeah we have uh, actually millions of uh lace wings and predatory nematodes both uh one the lace wings um they're predominantly going after like aphids or like thrips or anything in that kind of that's like on the actual leaf itself uh and they have these like little tiny strips they're like little cards uh, if you can imagine like um like the, the, the thickness of like an index card uh they have little hooks and they stay in like a hibernated state uh in the in around 50 degrees 55 degrees uh and then you literally hook them to the to the base of the plant and then as obviously they warm up they thaw out, they come out of the hibernate, hibernation, and then they actively start eating on uh, any of the, the negative bugs or insects that you may have out there. Uh, it's also, it's we don't have any issues yet. It's really just more of a preventative measure because uh, once the population does start to establish there, they kind of stay there, uh, assuming that there's a food source. Of course, if there's no food source, then they will eventually make their way off to somebody else's field. But worst case scenario, they're helping somebody else out, maybe our neighbors down the street. So. Um, yeah, that's what, that's why I say launch, like we're actually de- like hooking them to the base of the plants. You're releasing millions of bugs into the field. <laughs> yeah. That sounds, yeah. that sounds like an, uh, that sounds like an adventure. Cause, uh, yeah. you know, three bugs, you know, kind of creeps me out. I couldn't imagine millions of them. <laughs> so good, good luck. Yeah. I hope you survive. Yeah, I hope right. you don't, uh, I hope you don't inhale any. I inhaled a mosquito the other day and it freaked me out, but, uh, oh, yeah. Well, uh, Dylan, you know, before we jump into it, it sounds like you, um, you, you have some experience, you know, before, you know, building this hemp farm of recreational cannabis, winemaking, all kinds of different things. What, what led you to hemp? Kind of what, what, what's the, what's the origin story here that led you to hemp and led you to, you know, releasing millions of bugs in a couple of hours? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess, uh, kind of brief synopsis So my, yeah, my background was predominantly in wine, uh, traditional cannabis as well as more of a side hustle. Um, but I was a winemaker for a better part of uh, almost a decade, like like eight years, um, and uh, got into viticulture and did doing some stuff in the vineyards as well, mostly on the production side of things. Uh, but back in 2016, I wanted to do a CBD-infused wine, and uh, the hemp industry is still illegal at the time. The farm bill had not yet passed. Um, so we're still in that 90 year probation period. Um, uh, and yeah, so anyways, I wanted to find or source a quality organic source of, uh, CBD, uh, to actually do a CBD infused wine. And I couldn't find anything. Um, 90% of it came out of China and then maybe in the Netherlands, uh, it was difficult to get over here and there was no telling on what quality you're going to get. So, um, 
I originally from Southern Oregon. I relocated down to San Diego for about you know those eight years, seven years, uh, while I was uh, had a small wine company down there and making wine for other people. Um, and then I was talking to my father, who still lived in Southern Oregon. He was a property developer, and he was just telling me about this cool spot that he got uh, just to do what he does, just flip the property in Southern Oregon. And he was kind of describing it, seven acres of land. It was kind of a dilapidated, neglected piece of dirt, but it had a lot of great potential. It was actually originally the home site of David from Harry and David back in the 40s. And it's actually where they started their art empire with the two brothers. Uh, and I was like, oh, well, that sounds kind of cool. Can I come up and check this piece out? So I went up there and I checked it out. And I was like, like do not sell this piece instead of me trying to source any, you know, hemp or hemp based products, uh, from, you know, who knows where let's just bring it in house. Let's just cultivate it. Uh, and then I'll, I'll do all the winemaking of course, and, and the cultivation and we'll put it, we'll sell it by way of wine, you know, the CBD wine. So basically partnered with my father on that, sold my wine company, moved from San Diego, me and my girl came up, uh, and just, you know, started living life on the farm. Um, and then we kind of, after the first year realized that, well, one, there was a barrier to entry on the wine thing at the time, OLCC obviously still regulates alcohol in the state of Oregon. And then, uh, CBD was not a federally regulated uh, crop. So it was illegal to actually do the CBD. So that was a bit of an issue. Um, so, and then while I was trying to do the whole process of seeing how I could market my wine, my CBD wine. I realized that this industry of hemp in general was way bigger and it was way more in its infancy. Wine was definitely a rich man's game um, for a reason. It just cost a whole lot of money. That's the reason why a lot of big companies buy giant conglomerates and, and buy vineyards is because it's just, it's a lot, it's really hard to be a micro winery and make an actual name for yourself uh, without having some serious financial backing. So uh, this, I was like, Hey, we might be in the right place, right time let's focus on this hemp thing. And yeah, five years later, here we are. So right on. Well, congrats. That is a hell of an origin story. It sounds like you uh, yeah. uh, made a pretty big pivot there selling the wine business. And I'm sure that was a yeah. lot of risk, but uh, being able to get a farm up and going, you know, and, and working on these products, it sounds like, you know, RDSP it farms is, is a, is a portion of what you do, but you're actually taking products all the way fully through the process into retail can you tell us a little bit about what you're making and, uh, and, and how that penetration into the retail market has gone? Because uh, that's a big undertaking going, you know, farming in and of itself, but then actually taking a product fully to retail is a whole other animal. How's that been for you guys? Totally. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, the, the you know, RDSP, you know, 1.0 or beta version was just the farm, right? And, you know, everyone was like, oh, yeah, you can you'll just uh you'll sell bulk products uh bulk oil or, or biomass when that was you know an actual viable portion of the market uh and then we quickly pivoted into uh getting into the services side of things uh and then we then started uh two companies underneath rdsp so we have rdsp is so you know kind of the mothership we do lots of white labeling co-packing uh services uh both in the da side and the traditional cbd side of things uh, and then we have a, uh, a, a kind of a upper tier premium CBD brand uh, that's called Organ Originals, uh, primarily focusing on on uh, designer oil, as we call it, 
Uh, like, you know, we just launched a, a pen called our Pine OG, um, uh, using our actual steam distilled terpenes from our field, as well as a mixture of like proprietary botanical blends. Uh, we have a CBD, C or sorry, CBG, CBN, CBD pen. Um, and then we of course have our CBD, uh, vape pens as well. Uh, premium pre-rolls, CBD, uh, like a premium CBD gummy. Uh, we're going to be expanding that line. Uh, so that's like our CBD line is Oregon Originals. And then we have another line called Unicorn Brand. And that's all of our D8 products. Uh, D8 Keith Joints, D8 Flower, D8 Moon Rocks, uh, D8 Gummies. Uh, so we've kind of just compartmentalized the business into three tiers. Well, really four, if you include the co-packing and the white labeling side of things. Uh, you know, there's the farm. Uh, and then there's the CBD brand, there's the D8 brand, and then there's the services and the co-packing. Um, so I'm sure, it, I'm sure your accountants to... love you over there with the <laughs> multiple entities. Yeah. I understand the oh, pain, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> now, uh, when it comes to Delta 8 products in Oregon, what has your experience been with regulations, shifting, gray area, good to go? You know, how has that impacted your business on the, you know, the, the Delta 8 THC products? Yeah, so that's it's like you ask ten people, you get ten different opinions on that one. Um, so House Bill three thousand did pass with the House. I don't think it's been passed in the Senate. It looks like it might pass in the Senate. Um, Courtney Moran, who's kind of like the hemp leader or hemp industry uh, lawyer uh, and and uh, counsel, uh, she she was a, a large part of getting the actual uh, original uh, uh, farm bill passed in the first place. Um, everything bureaucracy moves slow as everyone knows so if it does pass in the in the senate even let's say tomorrow it's not I, in the state of oregon dea products are not going to just all of a sudden get ripped off of shelves and and no longer be allowed to be manufactured it's going to take some time they they allow a grace period i'm not exactly sure what that looks like uh obviously prior to any like it was a legal gray area in the beginning and then it became like a legal like fine it's totally white market and now it may go back into a gray area. I'm not exactly sure where it's headed, uh, but we're going to ride the, the DH train as long as possible. We, we were kind of actually, uh, we were kind of a late adopter in the first place. Um, we didn't actually get on it until about, I'd say maybe five or six months ago. Uh, and it was mostly as a service for other people. Um, and then we started our unicorn brand. Uh, knowing that it could, the bottom could fall out and then we would just pivot that to just yet another CBD line of ours, kind of more of like an economic, like kind of a C-store style, Mylar bags and, you know, just a little bit more, you know, cost effective, uh, CBD products, um, uh, versus, uh, our Oregon originals, which is a little bit more upper end. Um, so we're going to, we're going to ride the train until someone tells us not to. Um, I will say though that it, the, I mean, it, DA has been a bit of a blessing and a curse. Uh, we, I mean, we've been in the industry five years, which doesn't seem like super long for most businesses, but for the hemp industry, it's pretty old uh, and pretty well established. And we, we've had a lot of, re, you know, repeat customers. We've had a lot of returning customers over the years. Obviously, we still have to, you know, it's a game of attrition. You have to get new customers every each year, and there's always competitive, you know, competition out there. But uh, the so once the last six months CBD sales really stalled out and uh, we relied heavily on our D8, both as our service, as well as through our own branding. Um, we relied on those D8 sales to really keep our operation afloat. 
uh, and many farmers. I mean, honestly, I, I know we do a lot of the production, whether it be DA pre-rolls or DA sprayed flour or, or, or the juice flour or moon rocks for our customers. And I know, I mean, there's 20 or 30 top tier farms and companies in the state of Oregon that are, that come through us. And they they tell us, you know, time and time again, that like, luckily we have D8 because nothing else is selling currently. That said, if D8 was completely gone altogether, maybe our CBD sales wouldn't have dipped so much. Um, so it, it's, it's a hard thing to pin down, I guess, but. No, I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, you, you talk to legal teams and, the opinions are, you know, proceed with caution um, based on federal regulations. Then each state seems to have been implementing at their own pace. And so depending yeah. on what states say, it, it, who, who knows what will happen, but uh, proceed with caution. Right. Uh, that's, and it sounds like that's what y'all are doing, which is, which is smart, but it has helped a lot of farmers. Right. And so when you look at it from that perspective, it's really been a gift to the industry to be able to pursue that market. That being said, right. You know, you've got seven acres on this farm right now. How, how much of it are you actually growing? And then what's what's your plan over the next couple of years with the farm? So we actually, so our first year of the seven acres, we cultivated 3.5. Then we scaled up to 15. Then we scaled up to 80 uh, off of four different sites uh, and just kept them building out the facility. Last year, we did 55 this year we're doing 30 outdoor acres and uh, two greenhouses uh, as well as a potential indoor operation that we're in the middle of setting up and then some light depth. So we've been literally all over the board. Uh, we've kind of found the sweet spot at 30. It's enough to still have volume and be like, a, like an, uh, in the hunt for those large clients uh, and those, you know, those customers that want to have a big overseas program and, and are nationally distributed. And so we still want to have that volume, but at the same time, 30 acres is so much of flour, which is always what we really grow for. We don't, I mean, the biomass and, and other byproducts are our byproducts. You know, we don't say no to them, but that's not our focus at all. Flour is hundred percent our focus. So 30 acres is enough volume, but at the same time, it's also manageable. Um, doing 80 acres of flour was brutal. To say I believe that man, 30 acres, 30 acres sounds like a lot. 80 acres sounds unfathomable. Yeah. No wonder you have millions of insects in your, um, in your car yeah. right now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. yeah well, exactly. yeah. Dylan, I I'm really excited to see how this year turns out for you. Um, glad we were able to connect to do an interview, let people, uh, you know, get to know you a little bit better because you're, you're all over kush.com. Um, you're a great vendor on there and the community wouldn't be the same without companies like yours. So appreciate you being a part Thanks. of the community. Appreciate you being a big supporter and uh, excited to see what you do in the next year or two. Thank you. Yeah. We appreciate the opportunity and your platform and thank you for the time and the interview. Awesome, Dylan. Well, we'll talk soon.